Praise God. If you have your Bibles uh, today, I want to, uh, the Lord willing, I want to finish this message uh, and this series that we have been going through pretty much through the month of December um, on Jesus the Messiah, why we believe Jesus is, in fact, the one who has come into the world to take away the sin of the world why it is that his claims we believe above any other claims. And incidentally, we know that over history, there have been many false Christs. And Jesus even said that there would be false Christs, or that word Christ means uh, Messiah or anointed ones. There would be many that would come, uh, but there was only one who could do what Jesus did. We talked the first time about his crucifixion. And as I mentioned at the very beginning of this, uh, when we talked about his, some of the names given to the Messiah, there are literally hundreds of prophecies about Jesus Christ or about the Messiah in the Old Testament. Uh, and it was our intention, obviously, to deal with just a few of those uh, and highlight some of the major events. These are as it were, the highlight reel of the, the messianic events and why it is we say Jesus is who he says he is. I know that much of what is taught today in colleges, in high schools, uh, you get into some very heavy philosophy, you get into the ideas and the ways people think. Uh, and the, the, the going philosophy is, is that all religions are equally valid. Uh, unfortunately, we have a problem with that. I have a problem with that because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, God the Father, but through me. If you're not going through Jesus, there is something missing. So why do we believe that Jesus is the Messiah? There were prophecies concerning the crucifixion of Jesus that were fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. As he went to the cross, all of a sudden, Old Testament prophecy, Old Testament scriptures came to life in this one person. Why do we believe that? His ministry also was prophesied and how he would minister, what would be some of the things that he would do, what he would accomplish. Those were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. A couple of Sundays ago, we talked about his birth and how the, his birth, obviously at this time of the year, it's easy to talk about his birth. And we know that there were prophecies concerning where he would be born. There were prophecies about what name he would be given. There were prophecies up, uh, un, in a number of ways about the birth of Jesus Christ and how important it is for us to recognize that He is the fulfillment of this prophecy and those prophecies. But there's one final event I want to talk about, and uh, I didn't really plan for this message to be as such a, you know, finishing up an old year, heading into a new year kind of message. But if there is anything that sparks hope for a new year, uh, and quite honestly, I have never preached on the resurrection at hardly any other time other than at Easter. And yet this is about the resurrection and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. 
and how Old Testament prophecy prophesies about what Jesus would not just do, where he would be born, you know, what kind of birth he would have, a virgin birth, that his ministry, some of the things that he would accomplish in his ministry, and then also the crucifixion, but it also talks about the resurrection. Because, let's face it, we can have a wonderful story about the birth of Jesus. Beautiful, lovely, appropriate for the time of year that we're in. We can have some great things that we talk about as we talk about the, uh, the, the ministry and, and of Jesus. And a lot of the things that he taught and he said and he did. And those are incredible things as well. And we can even talk about the crucifixion, the intensity of his sacrifice. But if you stop it right there and there is no resurrection then you do not have Christianity. If you don't have a resurrection, I'm going to say it again, if you don't have a resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, you do not have Christianity. It's cooked. It's done for. It needs, it must have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in Scripture, we find that the resurrection is absolutely essential to our belief system, to our reality, and in fact, the, the idea and the understanding that it is His resurrection that causes us to come to life. The Bible says this, and Paul wrote these words, that He was crucified for our transgression, but He was raised for our justification. You today are looked at by God as though you had never sinned. That's the idea of justification. God looks at you as a sinner. There's no, no two ways about it. He looks at you as though you had sinned before, that you are a sinner, you were born into sin. But when you come to Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ, and believe that not just His blood cleanses you, but His life, His resurrected life, can now live in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, it is through that life that you are able to accept His justification. That is, He wipes the slate clean. You don't have to look back at what you did 10 years ago and feel remorse, but instead, God has given you a new slate. And it's all because of the resurrection. And the resurrection was prophesied about. Let's go into the Old Testament now. Let's go into the Psalms. Psalm 16. We're going to be there for two of these points under the resurrection. And the first one is simply this. That the Bible prophesied about the fact that his flesh, his body, when it died, would not see corruption. Now, back in that day, there was not the, there was not the embalming that we know today. There was not those fluids and all of that that is able to preserve a body. So often, they, uh, an individual would die and they would immediately have to adjourn to a tomb, to a place where they would entomb that person and they would come and maybe put spices and all of that, but that was not to preserve the body. They would put that body in a tomb and there they would cover that tomb and... That would be it. And within days, within about two or three, four days, 
the body would begin to decay. The Bible reveals this in Psalm 16 and verse 10. The Bible says, because, I'm reading from the NIV, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. We know this. One of the problems, and if you... We don't, we're not going to take the time to read it, but if you go to John chapter 11, John chapter 11 is the passage of Scripture that talks about Lazarus being raised from the, the grave. Jesus had been delayed and he had purposefully, when he heard that his friend Lazarus was sick, he had stayed where he was a couple of extra days. And during that time, his friend Lazarus, who was the brother of Martha and Mary, very close to Jesus, Jesus would often stop off at their house and have a meal and, and in, you know, just enjoy their friendship. Very close friends with Jesus. They sent word to Jesus, please come quick. Jesus stayed where he was and during that time Lazarus died. And then Jesus, when he knew, because he was all-knowing, he knew that Lazarus had died. He said, okay, come on disciples, we're going to go and we're going to go see Martha and Mary. And so as they got there, we know the story how Martha and both Martha and Mary just came out and they were weeping and they were crying. Jesus, if you had been here, you could have performed a miracle. If you had only been here, Jesus, before it got to this point, you could have performed this great miracle and, and our brother would not have died. This was Four days now after Lazarus had already been in the tomb. He had been in the tomb for four days. And they traveled. Jesus says, come on, let's go to the tomb. And you remember Martha's, you know, Martha's, you know, uh, her, her, her uh, kind of balking at that saying, but wait a minute, he stinks by now. He's decaying. The body is decaying. Jesus said, that's all right. Come on, let's go. And we know the story, how he gets to the the tomb, and he says, roll the stone away. And he says, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. And we remember how, how beautiful that passage is as Lazarus somehow comes out of the tomb all bound in grave clothes. Life came back into his body. Four days after he'd been put into the tomb, the idea that his body had been decaying or would be decaying was going to happen. But three days, Jesus was in the tomb. And the Bible says, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Now go over, keep your thumb in, in Psalm, because we're going to go back there. But go over to Acts chapter 2 and verse 31. Acts chapter 2 and verse 31. And this is now the day of Pentecost, and Peter is preaching a message. Peter has been filled with the Holy Spirit. He is now standing, instead of being a coward, this guy is full of the Holy Ghost and fire. And he's standing up in front of a, a whole lot of people on the day of Pentecost, and he is preaching the very first sermon of the Christian church. But in that sermon, he says this, and he pulls from David, and what David said, and he says this, seeing what was ahead, he spoke that is David, of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see 
decay. Peter recognizes and he says in that moment, this was what David talked about. I'm telling you about Jesus, that yes, he was born, he, was, he lived, he died on the cross, but more than that, the Old Testament prophesied about the fact that he was going to come back to life. His body would not see decay. Instead, he would be raised to life again. Now, jump back over. Let's just read that verse of Scripture again in Psalm 16 and verse 10 because right in this psalm, it also indicates that not only is his body going to be preserved, but more than that, he will, in fact, come back to life. The Bible says, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. There is something else implied in that, and that is that he would be raised to life, that he would be resurrected. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to let you know, you might be feeling like 2012 has been difficult for you. And you're not sure that you can face 2013 even though you you got to and you're going to try and you're going to do your best. Can I get you past the idea of trying a little bit and just let you know that you still serve a resurrected Christ? That this same Jesus who came into the world as a babe, born of a virgin, and also lived and said and spoke many wonderful things, did incredible, incredible things, in his ministry, open blinded eyes that they would see, made the lame walk, called people out of the tomb, and then he died on the cross. Brothers and sisters, the greatest hope that we have is that he has been raised to life again. He did not stay in the grave. Isaiah 26. Turn over to Isaiah 26. There is another birth, uh, another verse of scripture that is here. Isaiah 26 and verse 19. Seen as an Old Testament prophecy about his resurrection. The Bible says, but your dead will live. Their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. Not only is that, uh, this is wonderful, that's a wonderful scripture because that's not only an Old Testament prophecy about Christ, that's also the understanding. And this might be a, a scripture where the Pharisees you know, stood on to believe that there was a resurrection of the dead. Even the Pharisees, who were all religious, but they were more religious than they should have been. They were kind of a little crazy. You know, they, they were more a law unto themselves, but they believed that there was a resurrection from the dead, likely from this scripture. This is an Old Testament prophecy that lets us know that there is a resurrection. That it's not, you know, as some nihilists believe, that you're just going to die and go back to the dust and that's it. You cease to exist. No, you don't, you don't just die, brothers and sisters. There is a hope of a resurrection. You are body, soul, and spirit. And though the body, the Bible says, will see corruption, I want you to know that one day there will be a resurrection where your soul and spirit will be reunited once again with the body once again. You don't need to worry about that. But wait a minute. Where's the fulfillment of this resurrection? Go with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. 
Luke chapter 24 and verse 6. And then in just a moment, we're going to go over to Matthew 16 because we're going to see not some Old Testament prophecies about the resurrection, but we're going to see Jesus' own predictions about the resurrection. Luke chapter 24 and verse 6. The Bible says, and this is after the resurrection has occurred, this is an angel speaking. It says this, he is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? And then go to verse, jump down to verse 31. The Bible says, Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. That is Jesus. That is when Jesus had been walking on the road to Emmaus. And he was there with two of his followers, not immediate disciples, but two of his other disciples. They were walking with him. They didn't recognize him. And then all of a sudden, as they're eating their dinner with him, they realized this is Jesus. This is the Messiah. As soon as they recognized him, he disappeared from their sight. He was the resurrected Christ. Down in verse 34, the Bible says this, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Let me just stop right here and say, if we had the time, but we don't, if we were going to read a little bit more, you say, but that's just a few people. It's a couple of people. If you were to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and you were to begin at chapter 15 and verse 1, and you were to read what Paul says about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul says this, and this is very important for us to remember and understand about the resurrection of Christ. How do we know it's true? For anything that occurs, you need eyewitnesses. You know, you can talk about your, your, you know, your experiences. You can talk about things that you saw. But if you were alone, you can be called into doubt if you were brought into court. That without eyewitnesses to support your testimony, you could... You, your, your whole testimony could fall apart. We know that to be a fact. And yet, Paul says that there were those who saw Jesus after his resurrection, that there were over 500 people that saw Jesus after his resurrection alive. And Paul then follows it up and he says, not only that, he appeared to me as somebody, even though I was persecuting the church, he also appeared to me even after he had ascended into heaven. He came in bodily form. I saw him. He has appeared to me as well. But he says, many of those 500 people are still around. Now for you and me, they're not around. But for the Corinthians who were still alive during the time that Paul was writing this letter to them, what Paul was saying was this, if you don't believe me, go ask them. How many of you ever said that before? You don't believe me, go ask them. They saw it too. That's what Paul was saying. This was saying, the disciples were saying, listen, it's true. He's appeared to Simon Peter. He has appeared to a few of us. But it wasn't just this small band. It was over 500 people that saw Jesus alive. Brothers and sisters, what, what is your hopelessness today? What is the feeling that you're going through that somehow you're not going to make it? That somehow 
There's no way for you to be able to somehow make it through the next year or the coming year. You don't know what's going to happen. I want you to know that today your hope cannot be in me because I'm just a man just like you. But I want you to know that your hope can be found in a resurrected Christ who is ever living and always living to make intercession for you. Not only this, but Jesus prophesied it himself. This is something else. This is not Old Testament prophecy, but this is in book of Matthew. Go with me to Matthew. First scripture I want to read is Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21. There are going to be three verses of scripture, three passages of scripture in the book of Matthew alone. And then we're going to stay right in Matthew for the fulfillment of it. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21. The Bible says this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Notice, Jesus talking to his disciples, and he is now saying, one, I'm going to be killed. They didn't hear that. And two, I'm going to be raised to life. They didn't hear that either. The Bible says this in chapter 17, next chapter over, verse 23. The Bible says this, they will kill him and on the third day he will be raised to life. It's an interesting thing how Matthew follows up the remainder of this verse. And the disciples were filled with grief. Did you notice that? They only heard one thing. He's going to be killed. Jesus just said that the Son of Man, the Son of God, the, the, the King of Kings is going to die. Oh, die, no. And he's going to be raised to life. No, die, no, no, not. They were, the Bible says they were filled with grief. They didn't hear the second part. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been filled with grief. They'd have been filled with joy. Yes, he's going to die, but he's going to be raised to life. This is the same Jesus that we understand. He's, he's interrupted funerals, and he has brought people back to life. This is the same Jesus who has opened blinded eyes. He's got power. If he says he's going to go to they didn't hear it. They didn't hear it. Chapter 20, Matthew 20 and verses 18 and 19. The Bible says this. We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles. The Gentiles were the Romans who were literally ruling over Israel at that time. To be mocked and flogged and crucified. Now here it is again. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Jesus himself prophesied about it, though we don't put this in Old Testament prophecy. We put this prior to the penning of the New Testament. Jesus is saying here, I am going to be crucified and I am going to be I am going to be raised to life on the third day. Now go to Matthew 28 and verse 6 and let's... Just check out the fulfillment. 
Once again, Matthew 28 and verse 6. The Bible says this, the angel speaking again. He is not here. He has risen just, notice what the angel says here in Matthew's gospel, just as he said. In other words, you folks weren't listening. You were only hearing one thing. Can you imagine standing around the cross? Jesus has already said on a number of occasions, I'm going to be crucified. I am going to die. I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back to life. On the third day, I will be raised to life. Can you imagine? Just put yourself for a moment at the foot of the cross. Imagine that you're one of his followers who was bold enough and brave enough to go and to stand there, but there were a few. And you're standing there and you're weeping and you're grieving. You're crying. You're, you're, you're just, you cannot believe this man who you saw open blinded eyes, who you saw change somebody's life and bring them a new hope and a new life is now hanging there and he is, the life is ebbing out of him. And then finally when the word comes, he's gone. He's dead. We don't need to break his legs. Not, not any bone, that was one of the prophecies of the crucifixion, not any bone in his body would be broken. They broke the legs of the other two thieves that were beside him. They didn't break his bones. He's gone. You imagine the despair of some of those disciples? You imagine the despair of the people that were standing there, that were, were sitting there and wondering how in the world they were going to go on. He had changed their lives, and yet now he's dead. But the problem is, and this is what happens in our lives. Sometimes we only hear what we want to hear. Sometimes we only have, we have selective hearing. When it comes to bad news or good news, what do we usually want first? You know, sometimes, I, I don't know about you, I want the bad news first because I want to get that out of the way. Now, you might be the good news kind of person. Give me the good news first and then the bad news because you feed off the good news. You know, this was the bad news. But he had already given them the good news. He had already told them what was going to happen. And I want you to know that, brothers and sisters, you may be faced with trouble, and a lot of times we're hearing the promises of God that they are yes and they're amen, they're true, His Word is true, that what God has spoken He would do in your life, He will accomplish, He will do it, and yet all we're seeing is the bad stuff that's happening around us. We think, God, you're nowhere to be found. I want you to know He is there to be found. He will help you. He will will strengthen you. He will show up when you need him to show up. And guess what? Jesus was going to come out of the tomb three days later. The Old Testament prophesied about it. He prophesied that it would happen. And that you've got to read the end of the Gospels because the Gospels reveal to us and every one of them that he is a risen Savior, that he's not dead, that he is alive, that he came back to life. But what else occurred after the resurrection? Well, there is that final moment of his ascension into heaven. And this is where we transition from the resurrection to his exaltation. But his ascension into heaven, the Bible says this. You don't need to turn there to look at it, but just listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 68 and verse 18. It says, when you ascended on high... You led captives in your train. You received gifts from men, even from the rebellious, that you, O Lord, 
might dwell there. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 51, if you're still in the New Testament, go to Luke 24 and verse 51. The Bible says this, while he was blessing them, Luke 24 and verse 51, while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Acts chapter 1 and verse 9 says this, after he said this, He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. He ascended into heaven. But Paul writes for us in the book of Ephesians, he brings that verse of Scripture I read to you from the Psalms, Psalm 68 and verse 18. Paul brings this into the New Testament. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4 and verse 8, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8. The Bible says this. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Verse 9 says, What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. In other words, he came to this earth, but he had to go back. Jesus even said that that was going to happen. He said to his disciples on one occasion, listen, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He said, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. But when I go away, he says, I'm going to send another comforter. In other words... I'm going to send somebody who's going to be alongside of you to help you. Even though physically I am gone, the Holy Spirit will be in this world now and He will testify about me. You have to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to lead you. And He said to His disciples, He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you into all truth. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know today that though he has ascended into heaven, you need to know that he is no less active on this earth than what he was when he was here physically. And this is where we get to his exaltation. The Bible tells us this, that he is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Psalm 110, verse 1. Psalm 110, then we're going to go to the book of Hebrews. Chapter 1, but Psalm 110 and verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So when Jesus was on this earth and then he ascended into heaven, he didn't ascend to just sort of sit there and be a spectator of what was happening on earth. No, he was now going to sit at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 1, and look at verse 3. Hebrews 1 and verse 3. The Bible says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word 
after he had provided purification for sins, that is, he died on the cross, shed his blood, his spotless, sinless blood for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The writer of Hebrews recognizes now that Old Testament prophecy was fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ when he ascended into heaven. What does that ascension mean for you and me? Here's what it means. It means that God's plan of sending his son to this earth to die on the cross for our sins as the perfect spotless sacrifice was now accepted. It simply means that it was accepted by the Father. That it paid the price for your sins. It paid the penalty. You don't have to pay for your sin. There is a way out. There is a way of escape. We do not. Listen, there isn't anybody in the world who has to go to hell. There isn't anyone who has to, to pay for their sins. You say, but that sounds like such an unjust treatment. We have even gospel ministers who are beginning to doubt the doctrine of hell. I don't doubt something that Jesus himself believed and taught. You cannot doubt that. But I believe this, there isn't anybody who has to experience it. You do not have to go to hell. There isn't anyone who has to experience it because the price has been paid. All you have to do is to accept what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross and receive him. He's sitting at the right hand of God. What's he doing? Nothing? Spectating? Just looking out over the world and saying, interesting. Wish I were there. No, that's not what's happening at all. In fact, the Bible indicates this, that while he is there in heaven, not only sitting as the King of kings and the Lord of lords at the right hand of the majesty of, of the Father, the Bible also indicates this, that he is exercising a priestly office. A priest was somebody who stood as a mediator, as a go-between, as an advocate. He was somebody who was there on behalf of the people, but also on behalf of the Father, on behalf of God. The Bible says this in Zechariah, in the Old Testament. Just listen to what it says. If you have a pen, you can write down the Scripture, go back to it later on. But the Bible says, It is He who will build the temple of the Lord, and He will be clothed with majesty, and will sit and rule on His throne. And He will be a priest on his throne, and there will be harmony between the two. Often the priest was not the king, and the king was not the priest. But we know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that part of his office and who he was would be that he would be a priest and a king. Prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is a priest. And what does that mean for us? Well, here's what it means in Romans chapter 8. Go to Romans chapter 8. We could go to other places in the book of Hebrews and find there as well. But go to Romans 8 and verse 34. And I want you to see this. Romans 8 and verse 34. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. Who, uh, Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. 
I want you to know that there isn't anyone in heaven today who is against you. There isn't anyone in heaven in glory who is against you. Jesus is actually praying for you. He is at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that He always lives to make intercession for the saints. The saints are not just a select group of people as some in other uh, religions and other, other ways of, of the Christian faith believe that it's only a select group that is chosen. No, according to Scripture, if you are a Christian and a believer, you believe in Jesus Christ, you're a saint and not an ain't. You are a saint. So I want you to know that today you are somebody that He is concerned about. It's not just that select few. It is you today. He is concerned about you. He is interceding for you. And I want you to know that strength is going to come from heaven to help you as a result of His priestly intervention on your behalf. we got to believe for greater things, folks, because we serve a great God and somebody who is alive and, and well and making intercession for us. I want to skip a couple of these things and just go to one, just one final thing here today. And that is, I want us to see His universal dominion. That He is the King of kings, that He is the Lord of lords. He has been given a name above every name. We'll read that scripture in a moment. But go to Psalm 72. And then we're going to go to Daniel chapter 7. Psalm 72 and Daniel 7. Psalm 72 and verse 8. And the Bible tells us this in Psalm 72 and verse 8. It says this about him. He will rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You need to understand something about some of these scriptures. Some of them have their fulfillment in Him, but yet at a future date, yet at a future time. He will rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. There will not be one place on the earth that He will not rule over. Go to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 14. Daniel 7 and verse 14, and then we're going to go over to Philippians chapter 2. So Daniel 7 and verse 14. The Bible says, He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now I recognize today that we are living in a society that is fast becoming intolerant to the idea of the Christian faith. Tolerance for many other religions of the world but the Christian faith is, is getting under the nerve of many. But I want you to know that as much as it can get under the nerve of many, as much as it can create havoc because there is that belief 
that Jesus Christ is the only way, that He is the truth, He is the life, that though it does that, I want you to know that it will not pass away because we have an enduring Christ. He is, and this is one of the the things that I skipped over, He is the chief cornerstone of the church. He is the foundation. You, you, we are built on Him. We're not built on ourselves or our ideas or our philosophies. We are built on Jesus Christ and Him alone. And as a result of that, He will rule, He will reign, and His kingdom will never, ever come to an end. Go now to Philippians chapter 2 and verse, 19, uh, verse 9. Verses 9 through 11. Philippians chapter 2. Verses 9 through 11. The Bible says this. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is why it's so important for us to bow the knee now willingly and in in humility and humble ourselves before God so that one day we will not have to forcibly bow the knee. There have been many kingdoms of the world that have come and gone. Some have been... You know, some kinds of kingdoms have been those that would just conquer anybody and everybody and make them subservient. There were others who, if their their subjects, if those that they were, the nations that they were about to invade would willingly embrace them and accept them as the conquerors, that all would go well with them, that everything would be fine for them, and they would, they would, They would have it good. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that we can willingly bow before the Lord and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He is over all to the glory of God the Father. We can do that now, or there will be one day where you will confess that He is Lord. And that will not be of your own choice. But at that moment, you will recognize He was the coming one. He was the Messiah. He was the one that he professed and claimed to be. His kingdom will be without end. I'm going to close with these scriptures today. Because this lets us know that there is a kingdom that you're a part of. It's not the kingdom of the United States. Uh, It's not the kingdom of some other nations of the world. Those come and go. Kingdoms and nations and you know, great powers, they, they get weaker. They will rise and they will fall. In the world today, the United States is not the power force that it used to be. Bottom line. People do not look to the United States anymore for help. They're looking to other places. They're looking to other nations of the world because the United States has lost some of its former glory. We have lost some of that influence that we used to have. And I think in part it's because as a nation we have become so selfish and self-centered that we are concerned about what we think rather than what is going on in the world. We are so concerned about our own little philosophies that we have failed to understand that there are nations that can rise and be great 
and can have a great influence on the world. We're not there anymore. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that there is a kingdom. It's greater than any nation of the world. It's greater than those nations that are the most populous in the world. It's greater than those nations that boast of a great armory and a great you know, uh, weaponry and all of those things. It's, it's, it's greater than those nations that boast of great wealth. It is the greatest kingdom in all the world. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to know today that that is your citizenship. That is your kingdom. That is where you should hold up your residence and say, I am a pilgrim just passing through because the Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 9. In verse 7, it says this, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. I want you to know that the only way that you can really have peace now is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We live in a world full of tumult, uh, a tumult that is so tumultuous and full of turmoil. We live in a world that is in upheaval. Full of hatred, full of anger. So how are you going to have peace in the midst of a world like that? It is through coming to know the Prince of Peace. And peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We just read the verse of Scripture in Daniel chapter 7 that lets us know that He was given all authority and glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, men of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. No amount of, of anger and, and, and frustration vented toward the kingdom of God can ever take it down. It can't. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never, ever pass away. There is something more enduring even than what we see around us, brothers and sisters. It is something greater, something more powerful. It will not come to an end. In Luke chapter 1 and verses 32 and 33, I want you to go there right now. The Bible says this. Luke chapter 1 verses 32 and 33, and we see in his exaltation the enduring kingdom that he has. The Bible says he will be great. These are the words of the angel to Mary. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. It's never going to end. You need to know that long after you're gone, His kingdom still goes. Long after you and I have met our day of passing from this earth, the kingdom that He has built will never, ever, ever pass away. I want you to know today that this kingdom is greater than any kingdom of the world. It will last forever. His word will be fulfilled. How many of us, we think, you know, we're, we're masters of our own destiny, you know? We've, we've got, especially young people, you're, you're, you know, 
you're at high school, college, you're, you know, you're at certain age. You've got a long time ahead of you. A lot of things in store for you, and I hope good things, and I hope that every one of those things will include, not just include God, but put Him at number one in your life. But you've got, you know, we, we, we feel so in control when we're young. It's when we're older, we feel a little less you know, out of control. We, not out of control in a bad sense, but just we recognize that time is marching forward. We're getting older. Our bodies are beginning to change a little bit, shut down, slow down, whatever it might be. And we get to the end of life and you recognize that it's just such a short, short time span here on earth. I want you to know that we've got to be part of a kingdom that lasts forever. Because we don't physically last forever. There will be, though, one day that resurrection that will occur. The resurrection of both the living and the dead. That there will be that time where even those who did evil in the eyes of the Lord, they will one day be raised for a judgment. But i I got to believe today that there is a group of people in this room who recognize today that though time is marching forward and we recognize that while we can control some things and we can accomplish many great things in this life, that even after we're dead and gone and after that life is over, there is a life that still continues in the new kingdom, in the new Jerusalem. There is somebody who is in charge and is reigning on that throne forever. And brothers and sisters, that is the one that really counts in this world. Thank God for the votes that we have in this country but in the end I want you to know that there is a king of kings and a lord of lords who reigns over everything and you can hope in him you can trust in him now he will see you through your dark moment he will see you through the nighttime when you can't see anymore because he is the resurrected Christ he is Jesus the Messiah let's stand to our feet right now and give God praise